welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is brought to you by our partners at GameSight. GameSight provides full-service campaign management, taking charge of consulting, influencer discovery, relationship management, billing, and reporting, leaving you free to focus on your core business. With their measurement platform and creator-focused programs, GameSight helps brands grow, increase revenue, and ensure player satisfaction worldwide. And since the company draws from almost a decade of battle-tested experience, including with notable customers like Bungie, Capcom, Ubisoft, and hundreds more, GameSight's attribution platform meets the unique needs of PC, console, and Web3 games. Notably, GameSight brings display, social, influencer, and affiliate marketing into one dashboard for easy comparison. Marketing attribution for PC and console games is complicated, but whether your game is free-to-play, premium, or supported by DLCs, GameSight has you covered. To learn more about how GameSight has served other games teams and how it can help yours, simply visit GameSight.io or check out the link in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Novik Roundtable. I'm your host, Devin Becker, and with me, I have great panelists, as always. We've got Manu, Maria, and Sebastian. How's everyone doing? I hear uh, Sebastian may have run into some funding, perhaps? Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for the great segue, Devin. Yeah. No, so <laughs> Infinite Canvas, the user-generated gaming meets Gen AI studio publisher I run, raised $6 million recently, which has been a ton of fun. And so We've been launching a new game called CreatureCraft, CreatureCraft.gg, if you want to check it out. It's a Discord game powered by AI, which is always a lot of fun to develop against. Yeah, having tried it myself, it, it was pretty easy to get going in pretty much any Discord server you have control over. So recommend people check it out, free to check out. So might as well give that a go. We congrats, have some great Ed. topics today. Yeah, congrats. Uh, we, uh, we have some cool stuff, uh, just good variety of games topics today. Uh, we're going to talk about Baldur's Gate uh, with the third game having a pretty insane launch. Uh, Dota Arcade actually shutting down. There was referring to the uh, the Valve game, uh, Dota Two, I believe, in that case. Uh, and then some stuff about Rec League, uh, which is a, a newly announced game that should be pretty interesting to dig into. Play Tika and Play Studios with their earnings calls, fun stuff in there. And then some some interesting discussion over AI and uh, microeconomics around YouTube clip and thumbnail making. But uh, first, why don't we dig into that? Amazing Baldur's Gate 3 launch. Yeah, I mean, hottest game uh, at the moment, I guess. Uh, and and yeah, I mean, I just downloaded uh, my copy yesterday. I still haven't gotten to play it, but uh, I know, Maria, you've played it a little bit, right? Uh, how, I have how did you find three it? Different, I have three different friends groups, so I have three games going on. Okay. And well. <laughs> it is hands down one of the best games I've ever played. I play D&D 5e, and so it's just imagine someone went into your brain in your RPG sessions and then put it into a beautifully crafted environment 
when they do their magic is like exactly how I had pictured it in my imagination. It's just absolutely nice. fantastic. Yeah, loving, loving it. I don't. I think it's spreading like like wildfire because even in D and D groups, we're like, oh, have you played this? No, install it, and everyone is just buying it from from word of mouth in my circles. Nice. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I mean, uh, I'm full disclosure. I've actually never played Baldur's Gate, and also never, you know, really engaged with the D and D, you know, uh, the tabletop game and that like that whole experience. But this time, like, you know, I just had to like download it and, <laughs> and check it out. So hopefully, after the pod, uh, I'll I'll get some time to like check out the game. But I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the launch has just been insanely great. Uh, for this so you know maybe first going over like some of the performance metrics real quick um so this game has been in early access since october 2020 and it's we got to know that it was uh it, it sold about like 2.5 million copies um so at like a 60 dollar price you know results about in 150 million in uh, revenue already which really helped carrying you know that studio uh to the next point uh for full launch um in terms of comps, you know, that's about uh, 5x higher than, you know, the early access sales uh, for Divinity Original Sin 2, which is Larian Studios' uh, previous game. And there's an interesting story around that uh, that I'll come to, like, you know, how Larian got the right to build Baldur's Gate uh, later. Um, but yeah, I think overall, you know, just in terms of those early access copies sold um, and, you know, after launch they've probably like doubled that by now if if not more um it's probably going to be like the biggest Baldur's Gate launch of uh, of all time in terms of concurrence i mean this is this has been like that uh, you know the sexy headline that's kind of been doing the rounds uh, it hit 800k concurrent players over the weekend which is just huge um and it's currently sitting at about six, between something you know 600 to 700k and also like above apex uh pubg and gta 5 <laughs> so <laughs> that's crazy and one interesting stat uh you know it's it's like a 123 gb download i literally had to like get, just clean out my steam deck just to download <laughs> this game but that 122 gb or 123 gb download you know it also created like one of the biggest steam bandwidth spikes in history uh hitting like one close to like 150,000 uh, gbps whereas like the average is more like in the 25 to 30k range so generally like you know really really good um but yeah i mean overall you know just kind of knowing all those numbers um and it's also like sitting at Steam's uh, number one top grossing spot right now. It, I mean, there was clearly like this massive unmet, you know, audience hunger <laughs> that uh, that this game is now satisfying. And it's just been a great revival of uh, the Baldur's Gate franchise. Um, but more interestingly, like, I guess I wanted to just hit on like, Larian Studios itself. Um, I never knew about them until, you know, researching this topic. So they started off in 1996 uh, and it's founded by this person called Sven Winke and it's a Belgian uh, video game developer. Um, and they interestingly started off in casino and educational games, but then moved into RPGs uh, after that. Um, a lot of other people might probably know this, but... Uh, I only, again, just got to learn during my research. They're best known for their Divinity series and now, of course, Baldur's Gate 3. But the way that um, 
they got the rights is like a slightly interesting story. So they've been wanting to work on a, the Baldur's Gate IP for quite some time. And then they approached Wizards of the Coast. Um, you know, uh, some initial discussions happened in 2014. And Wizards of the Coast kind of felt like the studio is too new, too small, too inexperienced to like take on uh, this IP and kind of be trusted with it. Uh, and then, you know, Wizards of the Coast uh, turned them down. Uh, but then uh, at around that time, you know, Larian was also working on uh, Divinity Original Sin 2. And the pre-release materials of that like really impressed Wizards of the Coast. And and then, you know, Wizards of the Coast went back to Larian, Larian and then they said, you know, are you guys still interested <laughs> in Baldur's Gate 3? And, uh, and of course, they said yes. And I mean, the studio... They basic they were at 140 employees, you know, 140, 150 employees at that point. And given this IP and, you know, um, what needs to be done uh, to kind of do justice to the game, you know, getting getting reviews like Maria's right here, uh, they basically had two options, you know, uh, either they scale up their team and, you know, really deliver or they scale down the game itself. But I mean, scaling down the game is like really <laughs> that's uh, that would just not do it justice and and yeah they scaled up from 140 to 450 over you know uh, this these 6 years of uh, development assuming like about 300 employees maybe working on this that feels like a 100 to 200 million dollar development plus uh, marketing budget for this and you know like i mentioned uh, at the at the start the the early access already netted uh, 150 million so they're doing pretty good with like you know the pc uh, with the console launch uh, still uh, kind of pending and and yeah you know overnight they're kind of the kings of the rpg space uh, now um Although, yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's also less of an action RPG game, action RPG game, and more of like, I don't know exactly how to call it, but let's just call it like the D and D RPG <laughs> kind of game. I think it's yeah. just called RPG game. <laughs> to be honest, yeah, it's just an RPG like, game. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, within within D and D, there's yeah. sorry, within the D, there's you know technical players who know the rules ins and out, and mm-hmm. I think. It just shows Larian's quality to execute. I would say it's the best um, transformation from a tabletop RPG into a playable game because they really nailed um, changes from Divinity 2 into Baldur's Gate to be mm-hmm. able to translate that technicality of D&D and just make it easy for people who are really specific about how to play with the rules of D&D. It just does it absolutely perfect and it's just yeah. such a joy to to experience it. Yeah, and that's the core audience to like keep happy, right? Like if you just don't uh, deliver on, uh, you know, the way people imagine these things to play out in the tabletop experience and it doesn't play out that way in like a 3D experience, uh, then yeah, I mean... I don't think it would have been the success that it, it is today. Um, but yeah, there's some other interesting tidbits uh, and that, that should kind of close out the update. But um, yeah, one interesting thing I noted was, you know, the early access saves were actually not compatible with the full launch version, but I'm not really sure like how much of a, like how much of distress that might have caused uh, to people. Uh, it doesn't seem like too much of distress, but still interesting. But I guess the bigger and more interesting thing is that mods also will be available soon uh, in this game. So I'm like really, really curious to see like what people end up kind of building out uh, with that tool set. Um, 
but yeah i guess the final question uh, is and <laughs> uh, you know that that's what i was thinking about is is starfield going to be better than this um, my guess is yes i guess in terms of units sold at least um, but but yeah but what do you guys think i mean there was so much said i don't know if i have anything to add right like i, I do think it's a great <laughs> game like it's, yeah. it's a fun game there's a lot of people playing it hell yeah Right to me, Baldur's Gate three is no different than the type of launch we had with Oppenheimer and Barbie, which is high AAA value, large amount of went into it, and you just got to take a deep breath and say, "This is awesome." I'm really happy that we saw some success here, and that this team hopefully gets to make Baldur's Gate four, or more likely, support Baldur's Gate three into infinitum. Yeah, based on my social circle. Um... Not all of my friends want to play Baldur's Gate because of the type of game. All of my friends want to play Starfield. And so I'm going to say Starfield is going to be a bigger success. It's just cool. more of a wide, a wider genre. If they hit the quality and it's amazing and not full of bugs when it releases. I'll just add that if. Yeah. And also like Bethesda is just like Bethesda kind of... Game. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, they just kind of know how to kind of create those more quote-unquote mass market RPG experiences, I guess. But, I mean, yeah, Baldur's Gate is Baldur's Gate and currently the best Baldur's Gate launch of all time. But yeah, that's uh, that's about it with Baldur's Gate. Looking forward to kind of uh, playing it uh, tonight, hopefully. And uh, yeah, maybe in the next episode, I can report back and tell you what my first, you know, D&D world experience is like. <laughs> That's actually an interesting question. Like, I wonder how the experience would be and curious what's going to look like when you play, if you don't have people to play with, right? Like, I, I would probably never play Baldur's Gate solo is my current feeling about this. Like, it's very much with different groups of friends. Curious how people, I, I'm curious what the play experience is like out there in part because in theory it's a, it's a potentially single player game but in practice it may not be I, I think this was like one of the biggest reasons for me not getting into Baldur's Gate like when I was you know maybe still in school it, it I kind of saw the game and it it just had like this complexity entry barrier that I just wasn't willing to kind of invest in uh, and and you know that kind of just kept me from playing the game versus you know playing a hitman or an oni at that point in time so um but yeah uh yeah I, I, but yeah i mean you know it's uh, it's also a little bit embarrassing that i haven't played baldur's gate at all and i guess that's why i just want to kind of uh you know give it a chance and see uh see what happens yeah it's interesting like the, the the relation to these tabletop games right so you've got like a for i think for a good contrast of a tabletop rpg coming over and not doing well like cyberpunk right that was basically a translation of a tabletop RPG that had been kind of around for a while and it had been a long time since anything had been done with it. They tried to like shoot for the moon, didn't work out, right? And and so obviously this is a situation where I think the D&D audience might be a little bit bigger too. Like D&D is doing very, very well uh, right now outside of the the whole issue they had with the open license that they, they kind of pacified most of that, I think, at least put out most of the fires around that. And that seemed to calm everyone down. Everyone's just excited about D&D again. Like, I still hear about it. Like, the amount of people that even are asking me if I'm going to play Baldur's Gate. And I'm like, do you even know what that is? Like, you're asking me. Like, the just the, this has gotten really good word of mouth, it seems like. And that, that I think that's a mm -hmm. pretty big deal. Which is funny because it does come across like a single player game. And just like what you think of for these kind of games. But it does have co-op. So I think that was a smart choice for pushing that social 
sort of like, hey, are you going to play it? Can we play it together? Kind of uh, aspect mm-hmm. that I think is like very helpful for these sort of things. Like, whereas you can't do that with cyberpunk, right? I can't, I can't co-op with anyone on that. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a funny contrast too to something like Starfield uh, because those are pretty different audiences in a lot of ways, but also by the time Starfield really comes out, everyone will be done with Baldur's Gate anyways, because you know how they are with their delays anyways. It'll be timing wise, probably be fine. Uh, and, and probably come out buggy yeah. enough that some people will wait. And that's just how Bethesda releases are is you have to expect a certain amount of bugs when they come out. But it's kind of funny, the lineage though, going back to uh, like their Fallout games, which also helped them kind of popularize their, their RPGs on console and things like that, along with Skyrim. Uh, goes back to like uh, the original Fallout games were also based off tabletop RPGs, but then they didn't get the license they wanted and had to modify it. It was like originally the GURPS license, but then they kind of had to like tweak things because that didn't work out. And there was like potentially some legal issues, but it's just funny the lineage, lineage of these old school tabletop RPG uh, like players bringing that into these games. And now there's enough hardcore audience that are into that sort of thing that it's like very receptive because I feel like, it, you know, you go back 10, 20 years a game like this came out, you wouldn't have been breaking Steam. And so I think that's that's a pretty big shift in audiences. You know, like we see on mobile, for example, where it like shifts towards more hardcore audiences over time. So I think it's a good sign for, mm-hmm. for hardcore gamers that there is this kind of huge audience for these kind of games. But uh, speaking of complicated games with long lineages and uh, making changes, uh, the Dota story here we've got from uh, Sebastian. This should be really, pretty interesting to hear. This is a bonkers story. Highly recommend not listening to me and reading this amazing Reddit thread. And I want to are you even watching the video? <laughs> the video is crazy, but super long. Yeah. Uh, want to give a quick shout out to Reddit user Trencha, who <laughs> wrote a great summary. Honestly, you don't have to even watch the video. So here is the story in its entirety. It ends with Dota Arcade getting shut in, shut down. So want to flag that for everyone. Dota Arcade, for those of you who don't know, is effectively the Warcraft 3 map editor, custom game, UGC community for Dota. Really robust tooling. We got auto chess, so if you've ever played TFT or DAC, that came out of this ecosystem. And to that extent, a couple of, uh, couple of players slash industry insiders inside the Dota community and Sunspan and Jenkins created a game called Ability Arena like about like 18 months ago. Fun game. Like, by all means, a fun game. Effectively, they went out, they were monetizing it, they you know, put in a few hundred thousand dollars into development, they're hoping to get back you know, a few hundred thousand dollars out and maybe make some actual money off of it, just like the folks over at TFT and DAC had made previously. They run into this really amazing and amusing idea, which is like, hey, for balance purposes, they create a community of 250 gamers uh, who are the highest ranked players to come in and talk to them about game design. A player is like, hey, I've gotten this. Here's my screenshot. The screenshot was malformed. It just wasn't a good way to indicate it. And the moderator was like, hey, you need to send a new screenshot. And this player, in the infinite wisdom that this person has, started sending death threats and being like, hey, (laughs) screw you. Far worse words. Far worse words were said. To the point which, obviously, the guy was banned for life from the game. He then submits a GDPR request saying, hey, we think you're storing my information. Screw you. This is almost certainly a troll action. It is totally fine that's a troll action. It happens. But it turns out, actually, <laughs> Dota Arcade's not GDPR compliant. You can't actually delete player data very easily. That's mm. its own set of headaches. 
But more importantly, because of that, the lawyers got involved. Valve lawyers take a look and they're like, hey, what do you mean you're monetizing our IP? That is massive trademark and copyright violations. We need to enforce it. Can we work around that? The answer is no. Well, in that case, let's kill Dota Arcade. And that is the story in like 30 seconds or less. It's a crazy story. Highly recommend reading about it. Long story short, they're killing it because the legal team said something needs to change. We can't change it in time. So let's kill the game and go from there. What's the, what's the moral of the story? Honestly, that's BGBPR a great question. BGPR complain from uh, the start. <laughs> no, I, I think actually if, if I had to pull one moral of the story is you, should, you know people should vote in their elections. Clearly, one person can have outsized effects mm. on the outcome of large corporations and large investments. I think that's probably a fair, a fair one, to say the least. So. Yeah, it just feels weird to me. Like, you know, I think like when I watched the video, it maybe they kind of made it sound like Steam had like no idea that mo- that monetization was going on. But I mean, that can't really be the truth, right? Like they oh, just been it could the very much be it. the case. I think it's actually almost really? certainly the case that there are people like Valve is a large company. Almost certainly the legal team had no idea. <laughs> because, mm. you know, we, we as human beings, if we don't look at, like, for example, Manya, until you mentioned the $100 million budget for, uh, for Baldur's Gate, I didn't know it probably spent $100 million. I knew about mm. Baldur's Gate. I'm playing it. But I didn't think about the economics of it. And I think mm-hmm. there's a lot to be said about that kind of thing. Yeah, I guess uh, the thing I'm like, um, that sucks the most for me, at least, is just... Like how the creativity would just get killed, you know, like just going back to that auto chess example itself, um, you know, yeah, at the end of the day, like a completely new genre was uh, kind of created through that. And just for the, uh, you know, the creative betterment and the future of the industry, this is this like really, really sucks. But I mean, who knows, maybe maybe Steam, you know. Uh, also, I mean, Steam probably understands that too, and maybe they kind of clean up their act and maybe relaunch it at some point. Maybe this is just like, oh, uh, man, you've never worked with Valve before. <laughs> uh, so, like, once no the decision way. is made, it's made, huh? You don't. No, think it's no, it's come just, back? they just don't care. I mean, they they print money hand over fist. Like, Dota mm. has been always and Counter Strike are both some of the most hands off esports ecosystems because they. They want their. They like making games, and that's what they do. And everything else is <laughs> running mm. around. Well, if you, if you look at Steam charts right now, it's literally Counter Strike, Dota, Baldur's Gate three. That's yeah. literally the, the top three like at this moment. So it's kind of funny, topic wise, that those kind of ended up right there. Because yeah, it, if Dota is not really going anywhere, and they're like, I don't think they're making most of their money off of the mods existing. So I guess who can blame them in a way? Definitely tragic, but uh, I guess I guess the lesson I take away is uh, dealing with mods and monetization is always like a problematic thing, right? Like since Valve started having like workshop stuff and everything, it's always been this weird contentious thing when it comes to monetization. And it is kind of funny because I remember like uh, when when Auto Chess was trying to spin off to its own thing, and there was all that like controversy of like, oh, can they launch their own kind of thing? It reminds me of like what happened with like um, PUBG and uh, and Daisy and stuff with. Uh, Arma and just mods in general, and it, like not having good uh, setup for how people monetize and how you deal with the legal things like around people modding. It, it seems like something that's that needs to be like 
maybe not solved solved, but at least like structured with some framework people could just copy and paste into future games. Because I, I mean, hope, I, I wanted to say it's not going to go away, but I, I just, I guess it's hopeful that modding never goes away. But it's, it's a pretty big deal, especially now when we start getting into AI stuff and all the things where people can start to make things or like, you know, uh, S- Sebastian's project, for example where there's like, you know, a certain amount of user creation, AI stuff involved. It seems like a, it's going to be a pretty big topic if people are monetizing. And like Valve's already like kind of gotten into that with with AI creations and whether or not they're like allowing stuff that the whole topic we've been into before with making them prove mm-hmm. it. And it seems like Valve is being very cautious from a legal standpoint a lot of times lately when they when they smell something, like with the crypto stuff where they like tried it, but they're like, mm, legal stuff's not really worth it right now. It just, it seems yeah. like that's kind of their stance. A lot of times is like Sebastian said, they're, they're printing money. So why risk it? Uh, when they could just be like, it's just not worth it to us. And it seems like the way they have their flat structure, if some, if it's not worth it to some random person at the company, that's willing to like spend all their time on it. It just doesn't happen because they have their kind of weird, like jump between project structure, which, you know, what? to be fair, when you're a company like that, that makes that kind of money, I guess you can't fault them for it. And it's nice that we have Epic games as like, someone else that could just be like, we'll do it kind of thing. So, you know, maybe we'll see people start to move to some kind of mod environment over there because I think Epic's probably pretty pro mod. I mean, you look at what they just did with Fortnite. So maybe these kind of uh, people will shift over to that and they'll find some way to monetize that through, you know, some form or another that, that Epic is okay with. Yeah. A yeah. couple things to flag that you mentioned, Devin. Uh, one, completely agree. The flat hierarchy stuff is super interesting. There should be an entire episode dedicated towards what Valve was doing. Amusingly, it became very much in vogue in Silicon Valley in the early 2010s and then died off because there are a lot of inherent problems unless you have a cash printing machine in the background to run the system. The second thing that I'll flag for for you guys, and I think this is particularly amusing with regards to Valve's lawyers, is I do not fault the lawyers. I think that's something that we often do. In America in particular, you have to protect your trademarks and you have to protect your copyrights. Now, Really, if there was enough resourcing to then help people work around those issues, to get comfort to the legal team, I think that's completely reasonable to do. But you're right. There's not enough executive support for it. People aren't going to care. The people move on. The one, uh, one interesting point that, um, you know, that um, uh, these, uh, what, what, what are the names again? Sons, Sons Fan and Jenkins, uh, they kind of brought out in their video is they said that uh, the only reason that you know, uh, Valve might kind of decide to, I don't know, at some point reverse the decision is if the community wants it. And um, yeah, I'm curious, like, what, what do you guys think about that statement? Do you, do you think, do you think, uh, you know, like, will, is, 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 that, is that in the realm of possibility? And like, how has community reaction actually been uh, to this, etc.? I mean, they have. They certainly have responded to it. It's unclear if mm-hmm. this has enough traction for people to respond to. People just don't seem mm-hmm. to respond as strongly to stuff like this as they do to stuff in their other ecosystems. And so mm-hmm. if I were a betting man, I'd imagine Dot Arcade is dead and uh, they will never make back their money is sort of my <laughs> like unfortunate bet here. Mm. I guess just look at the concurrent players from this point forward and see if it still maintains that second place. If it does, then there's no reason for them to care. If it doesn't, then there's a reason for them to care. Like that, that's kind of the, you know, at the end of the day, I'm sure they have the analytics, like whether or not they're always paying attention to some of the legal stuff, I'm sure they're paying attention to the numbers. And at the same time, yeah. like they've already milked Dota 2 for a long time now. Like 
I, I doubt they're going to be like crying if they'll be like, well, we have to move on. Uh, I mean, obviously yeah. they spent money on it and they, they built it up, but I've gotten the impression from like, even like just the way they run tournaments and stuff that they're just like international's cool. We'll, we'll do it as long as it's kind of working. And then as, as soon as it's not, we'll move on. Speaking of moving on play Tika play studios earnings talking about money. Yeah, <laughs> um, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll quickly run through the earnings of uh, both these companies. But um, I guess the the bigger topic I just wanted to kind of hit on because we hardly talk about it is, you know, what's the state of social casino games in <laughs> in mobile free to play? Um, and th- this is referring to, you know, uh, games like, you know, all the slots games and various uh, card games and such like. So, um for Play Studio specifically, this is a US-based company, um, uh, you know, mostly having a lot of slots games. Um, their uh, their first half uh, revenue of 2023 was up about like 14% uh, at uh, 158 million. Um, they've mostly broken even over this time uh, with kind of no change uh, in, uh, due to no change in operating costs. Um, but, you know, they continue to kind of bleed cash also over time. And, and uh, as of as of you know the first half of this year, uh, greater than ninety percent of their quarterly revenue is kind of uh, coming in through all this all their various slots games. But the interesting twist in the story is that greater than eighty percent of their downloads actually comes from a Tetris game, the rights to which they acquired uh, from Network uh, at the end of twenty twenty one. To me, that kind of feels like you know one of these. Um, I'm not. I'm, I don't think it's kind of like a diversification strategy from like slots going into casual and you know kind of the story that uh, Playtika uh, has been telling. Uh, my feeling is that this game was it's basically like a feeder DAU feeder game, so that you know they can kind of continue to uh, find people who would engage with their uh, with their slots games, which is basically the you know uh, money printer uh, of the company. Um, but yeah, I, I, the one, the one thing I want to call out and we'll kind of see this also in the Playtika story is that, you know, that, uh, that play, uh, play studios, uh, DAU has just been kind of continuously dropping. And, um, even though Tetris does exist and it's like getting a lot of, um, you know, new people in, uh, at the end of the day, the, the DAUs for their slots games, um, is the one that kind of matters from from you know a revenue perspective, and and that has just been dropping uh, since the start of twenty twenty one. Interestingly enough, when you know uh, during the time of uh, IDFA and the post COVID slump and such, um, Platika also you know uh, slightly similar story. Both of them, uh, I, yeah, their uh, Platika's earnings kind of came out uh, yesterday. Um, their Q2 uh, revenue, uh, which is at about 50 million, so about like five, six times uh, bigger company than Play Studios, that was down uh, 2% quarter over quarter and 2.5 year over year. Um, it's still, I mean, Playtica still continues to be a profitable company and the 10 to 12 net uh, income margin and, you know, cash flow generation is strong. They're currently sitting in, uh, sitting on about 1 billion in cash. Um, but yeah, like I've I mentioned about Playtica also in the past, their portfolio continues to be a very, very old one. Um, and their casino theme titles uh, are actually 
uh, growing in terms of the portfolio revenue mix uh, share. So <laughs> this kind of flies in the face of the narrative also that they've been trying to like, you know, uh, drum around about uh, we are kind of diversifying into casual and we want to like kind of make that like, you know, uh, the bigger uh, revenue uh, portion of the company. But yeah, again, with Playtika, similar to Play Studios, you know, their um, uh, DUs and uh, daily paying users also continue to drop. Um, and and this is, if you if you check out Playtika's earnings, this is probably also why, you know, they keep calling out um, how their direct-to-consumer platform uh, is performing so much better, uh, you know, quarter over quarter, just just so that they can kind of signal, I think at least, that they can kind of signal to the market that they are kind of taking control of this IDFA uh, situation and that entire conversation. Um, but yeah, you know, so like just very quickly in summary before talking about like the state of social casino itself, but... Basically, both Play Studios and Play Tika, you know, they're, they're both, you know, heavily dependent on their slots and social casino games for uh, for a good chunk of their revenues. But, I mean, the DUs of both these games continue to drop and therefore, you know, revenues will also continue to drop because how much can one really milk, you know, an existing player base uh, with the free-to-play monetization mechanics. So, but yeah, and so kind of zooming out and looking at, you know, the state of social casino itself. I, I had a um, question. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Manu. I had a question about Playtika. Did you notice mm-hmm. any change from them releasing their blockchain reels feature? Because they released it towards the beginning of this year, I think. Was there anything in the earnings about it? Because I've nope. n- not heard anything since the release went live, and it's still active. Yeah, it yeah, seems it, to have I very mean, low traction. Yeah, anything Web three was just not mentioned at all uh, in the earnings. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, oh my but, god! <laughs> yeah, but yeah, um, something that I've always kind of felt about, like the entire social casino, you know, category slash genre on mobile, is that. It's kind of always, maybe from 2021 onwards, it's always been at this crossroads where um, it can either kind of choose to slowly fade into the sunset (laughs) or kind of evolve in some meaningful way. Uh, The interesting thing about, um, you know, if you kind of look at the trailing 12-month downloads for this uh, genre, the downloads are actually up uh, 42% year on year, um, which at about 1.7 billion. And the reason that's interesting is because I just wouldn't have expected, you know, like uh, new players to be coming in uh, to the genre at this point. Um, But uh, on like deeper investigation, I think that's mostly driven by just new games launching and like the same people, mostly the same people just like playing multiple games and therefore, you know, the download numbers uh, kind of uh, inflating on on, on Data.ai. But... I think the core point is that even though like downloads are up 42% uh, year on year, revenue has basically stayed flat for this entire genre year on year. Therefore, you know, it's just, um, yeah, it's just not like quality users at the end of the day. None of that download volume or user volume is generating into uh, any kind of money uh, at the end. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess that's kind of like, you know, my overall point about social casino i i feel um 
it's really at this like crossroads where it kind of needs to choose to either <laughs> or not choose uh, but you know it if it doesn't do anything it'll just kind of slowly fade into the sunset or you know they have to like continue to evolve in some meaningful ways uh, either through like genre innovation of some sort or um, you know figuring out new ua creative strategies and such um, and and yeah i think casual casino which is games like coin master was like one such evolution but um those are also i don't think the player overlap with social casino is super high it, there is something there but it's also not like super high so so yeah something else kind of needs to happen um but yeah social casino continues to kind of surprise me uh, every year that it's still kind of around <laughs> and and still you know chugging to some extent but But yeah, curious to hear uh, what what do you guys think? I seem to remember reading a report a couple months ago that actually said it was back to growth. The genre is that am I mis misremembering? I don't know. Depends on the report and I guess the data provider itself. Um, I mean, we're uh, we're we're with data that AI and maybe the growth that they were talking about was the downloads growth um, and maybe not revenue. Um, but the yeah, revenue doesn't really seem to be going anywhere i was wondering about its long term legs as a as a genre because um obviously like the real world casinos right like which are are different business right they work economically pretty differently but uh they've been around for a very long time and they they're not really going anywhere but i wonder about the the genre like whether it needs to like continue to evolve and tweak and stuff like that because when you look at uh certain genres on mobile some of them just never go away like uh city building kind of stuff right timer sort of thing that's been around since facebook uh gaming pro- since really technically before that if you want to go way back it could could pay back to like very old dos games and bbs store games and stuff it's and so like some stuff just kind of has that persistence where maybe for some businesses it's not economically viable where like they're not making the profits like as you said downloads going up revenue not things like that so you know maybe do we end up in a situation where uh there's just less of the games because it's not like a a growth industry but it's like a consistent one where people are like hey i'm not going to get into this business but the people who like dominate it stay in it and uh i mean to your point about like uh, the growth i i actually have been seeing commercials for games i don't know if they're new games or not cuz i don't play most of these but i i will see them on streaming services like you know hulu or whatever i'll see the commercials for them still so there's definitely still advertising going on like outside of just say facebook ads and things like that so there's definitely interest at least in trying to pull in new customers but i got to imagine it's like it's different to acquire customers for a, a, a you know a download of a mobile game versus like a physical casino right like it's a pretty pretty different thing so i mean like what's your thoughts on like the yeah. long term say like 5 10 year Yeah like the, the I think the core issue with social casino is um it basically like mirrors a lot of mid core uh, you know uh, genres in terms of its user acquisition strategy so like targeted ua is very very important for social casino and also retargeting strategies so you know basically keeping your existing players uh, activated at all times and also kind of retargeting all your churn players and bringing them back so you know but in the current ua environment like that entire lever has completely i mean at least for ios it's been removed to a really good extent and android has like you know like it's limited amount of high quality players uh, around the world so um i think 
and that that's why I like that's why I keep that's why I'm like continuously surprised with like how social casino is able to like sustain and chug over time but you know I mean even Google is eventually moving to uh you know going it's going to like end up mirroring uh, Apple's uh, policies when it comes to you know this uh, privacy first uh, world and um and yeah then then i think fun- something basically either fundamentally needs to change in their user acquisition strategies itself or the products and you know that's basically what's going to i keep it alive uh, or you know and may hopefully like return it to a path of growth uh, at some point yeah i mean that's a pretty big contrast with the privacy stuff versus like regular casinos for example which are very big on profiling people keeping track of them all that stuff right all the stuff that is starting to go away in mobile. And so I, I wonder then, like, do we see Social Casino, for example, starting to do lots of incentivizing of, like, give us your email address, things like that, so they can pull, as you said, pull the customers back. Uh, like, for example, in, in, and I keep using the casino real-world one just because it's, like, one people probably know pretty well uh, in general. It, you know, they'll do a lot of retargeting with, like, uh, bringing people back with, like, free play, right? Where it'll be, like, free play promotions, other things where they're, like, hey, they, they have your email address, they have your physical address, and they'll try and take advantage of that to try and get you to come in. Obviously, like, Social Casino is already sort of built around an element of free play, uh, but I imagine there's, like, that same kind of tactic or strategy of, like, hey, here's a promotion to get you to come back, get you re-addicted again, stuff like that, and and I mean, maybe maybe that's the future that is just trying to like continue to pull back people. But as you mentioned earlier, it, like in something I think I've heard a few times around social casino, it's people bouncing between games a lot. Like they run mm-hmm. out of their whatever spins for the day, they just bounce to another one. And so it's like maybe there's even some room for a few players if they can kind of maintain that core of like, oh, I, everyone's just playing these three, for example. And then just, well, if everyone is, then those three can retain, but maybe not monetize super great. Like, I mean, is there, there are situations yeah. like that where we could just see a few little you know kingdoms of uh, of those games yeah that that might that might actually maybe maybe that actually ends up uh, happening and i think that's probably why like social casino will probably never really go away and <laughs> it will just kind of you know sustain at maybe lower levels uh, over time um but on, on your point about you know um the retargeting uh stuff i i think that's that's why um you know just going back to this uh, direct to consumer platform that platica is kind of pushing that's pretty much why I think that they are, you know, investing in that tech um, and essentially trying to like, you know, get to know who's playing their game and who could be playing their game outside of Apple's and Google's, uh, you know, uh, ecosystems and kind of beholden to um, whatever tools that those two platforms provide. So, and that that's why like, you know, Platica is just trying to like take control of that conversation and just get back to, you know, fully knowing who is playing and who could be playing uh, their game. I'm not sure if Play Studios is doing anything similar. They have like a Play Awards program, which is some kind of a loyalty program, you know, in collaboration with various uh, casino, like real casino brands and stuff. But I haven't looked into it deep enough to really know if it's, it's kind of something in a similar vein or not. Do you think there's any indication that we could see, because um, now that Playtika, like they're not making new games, but they, they've started acquiring some at least uh, with, with Yoda. Uh, is there any possibility then if I'm talking about like consolidating the social casino space, could we see an acquisition strategy where it's like, if it's just going to be down to the few people that already know how to run social casino really well, they see a potential in one, but the, you know, another company that's just not interested in doing it anymore, scooping that up and just kind of controlling the, you know, like a semi-monopoly around the industry like if it's just not going to go away 
Yeah, that's what I I think that could potentially happen. And for me, like the whole governor of poker acquisition, you know, Platika was. I mean, it it what it came like a couple of weeks before the earnings came out, so it was clearly like a signal to the market that you know uh, we we want to like continue investing in. First of all, like you know we can continue to do M and A after like the shadow of <laughs> not being able to get Rovio, uh, but um, but also you know maybe it was a move in like the semi monopolizing of the poker subgenre because with the acquisition of Govan, so I mean Platika has the biggest poker game right now uh, in the poker subgenre with. Um, the World Series of Poker game. And I think Governor of Poker is at position number three or four. Uh, so kind of getting Governor of Poker and then gives them, takes their market share up from 20% to about like 30, 35% in that. Uh, and then, you know, once they have, if they consolidate these different poker games, then they can just cross promote and, you know, essentially generate more revenues like that and kind of keep their portfolios going. So um, it could happen, but it's... I feel it's still like it, it'll be like a slow strategy, slow growth strategy. Um, but but yeah, that that could potentially happen. I mean, the other interesting thing is Platika is also kind of closing in on sitting on one billion dollars in cash, right? And that will need to be deployed uh, at some point, and that's definitely not a small amount of money. So maybe something big coming from Platika. Yeah, I would say one thing that. I just want to flag as a interesting thing to think about stems from a couple of priors. Just want to cover the priors. One, like social casinos, whether people like them or not, casinos in particular are the best game loops in the world. And from a pure, if if you define a game loop as input and output, where I input some action and I output some emotion, there is no loop that is more clean and purely like dopamine driven than casino based loops. In that way, casinos are actually insanely good games. There are a lot of other issues with that. They might be too good of a game. That is something that has come up again and again, but that's always concerning in that way. The social element of casinos, which is interesting, the social casino part of it, some people use us as, as backhand to mean, hey, you're gambling without actually making any money. But in reality, there should be more social components in terms of trying to interlace your communities in order to drive a lot more traction. The thing that Playtika, at least from my, what I've been looking at and been following along, is struggling with actually has nothing to do with either of those things. I think they're still quite good at the social part. They're still quite good at the casino part. I think the core question revolves around money. I think it specifically is a question of whether or not you want to burn the furniture or not. There's this old school thing for those of you who don't follow game design as closely, which is that... At any moment in time, you can burn the furniture in order to create a bigger fire. But the cost of that is that you burned all your furniture and you destroyed your house. And one interesting thing that, Mania, I think you're alluding to, which is, I think, the question is like, hey, do you keep iterating on these dying formats or on this game that no longer has the social pizzazz that are built on LTV cat curves or pre-ATT changes? Or do you burn the furniture, make a ton of money, call it a day, let it die, and then work on the next thing? I think that is a fundamental question that is constantly on the minds of everyone involved. You honestly do want to burn the furniture if the game is going to die eventually because the live op costs of these games are so high. I don't know the answer. I do think to, to the similar data Maria have seen, 
I've seen that social casinos as a genre in terms of money generated hasn't decreased at all. In fact, it's only increased. Adjusted to inflation might be flat, but like it's it's only increased. And really the question is where that's been aggregating. Is it aggregating in the Platika universe? Absolutely not. There are a lot of ex-Platika gals, guys and gals who are scattered throughout Turkey and Israel right now who are killing it, making new games, are capturing and stealing away some of those whales that have different scale. I don't know the solution, but I think this is probably one of the most interesting executive decisions that are going to be made, which is, hey, are they going to start burning the furniture or not? A really good example, a canonical example of burning the furniture is an old Marvel game, which I will not name the name of, where playing Spider-Man, which by the way, for those of you who don't know, Spider-Man is by far the most popular and most famous and most sought after uh, character in the Marvel Universe. And so they didn't let you play Spider-Man. It was a super end goal that you could only achieve by spending thousands of dollars and thousands of hours. They basically unlock Spider-Man. It drives revenues through the freaking roof. And then the game dies. And that's what burning the furniture looks like. Because now they've gotten rid of the incentive, you're good to go. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I think I do agree with like your overall point that it will be like a pretty interesting executive decision. Um, though I would um, I would challenge the game design point uh, specifically a little bit. So I think I would actually challenge and say that I think hyper casual games are probably the best design loops <laughs> versus the casino ones because at the end of the day, the casino loops um, money is in, money is uh, kind of introduced as an ingredient and as soon as money is kind of introduced uh, as an ingredient in the in the design loop that basically overshadows a- anything else um if you can kind of make it if you if you just make it easy uh or you kind of make the path to earning more money or have greater winnings as easy as possible pretty much any loop would work but being able to get into you know the primal dopamine uh, motivations, dopamine hitting motivations of human beings, uh, I think actually hyper-casual is maybe doing uh, the best. Uh, Mani, right I think you and I are saying the exact um, same thing, by the way. Like hyper, all the mm-hmm. hyper-casual loops with all the respect to, to the people who make these hyper-casual loops and, and I have no disrespect there. I actually think it's really interesting. They are all the same casino loops. There's actually no delta I've seen in any hyper-casual loop that's any different from a pure press button, get reward mechanism. The only delta being like you replace dollars or something else. I actually think uh, Wuga, which was an acquisition Platika made about five years ago, I want to say, were really good at exactly that obfuscation. (laughs) Like that basically people thought of Wuga as somehow a deeper game loop in the casual world. But in reality, their hospital game was effectively just a casino style, social casino loop but just dressed up with some interesting lipstick, right? Uh, there was like a lipstick pig metaphor I was trying to make, but it's it's been lost, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. But I completely agree. <laughs> like it is, it is so interesting to see what these guys and gals are doing. And I think a lot of them, you should just kill them, right? If you build your game on a CAC LTV model that's no longer sustainable because the CAC is wrong or the LTV is wrong, that just sounds like you should cut your losses and move on. I guess the question I have then is, so like, you know, what you're saying is like, okay, well, then if it's if it's built around acquiring players and that's not affordable anymore combined with the live ops stuff, then it's just like, all right, well, it's just not worth it anymore. What if you were to take an approach and then maybe this is a burning the furniture of just 
squeezing players more. So you just squeeze out the people that aren't the whales, keep the whales and be like, that's fine. Like we can survive off the whales. We can reduce the live ops to just what the whales want. We can focus on that. Obviously you maybe have a little bit lower than just whales. But what I'm saying is like, if you're just like, Hey, we don't care about acquiring new people. We don't care about necessarily like trying to overly run the live ops. We're just going to like kind of almost skeleton crew this, but with enough that the whales are happy and just, roll with that and and say you know maybe some games don't survive that and some do like is that just a, like a viable path for just be like that's good uh, enough it, so um, this is more monus territory but i want to take a quick stab at it you really start messing with your p ratios because effectively when you have a growth story and you're able to grow your users and your revenue at the same time the markets may give you credit for a p ratio of over 10x 20x even in some of these tech companies when we're trying to squeeze out marginal dollars on depreciating assets, we've now entered the world of sustainable long-term businesses. And I think that's exactly where we should live in for a lot of these game companies. But we're talking about revenue multiples back down to like 3 to 5x as opposed to 20x uh, profit earnings, right? I will flag that this is what Playtika has been the head one they've been running into since they IPO'd, right? Or do they IPO? I actually don't remember if they direct listed or IPO'd or SPAC'd. I forget exactly how they went public. But since then, you know, the stock's been down something like 50, 60%, right? Like yeah. it's a pretty crazy amount in part because there was a belief pre-ATT that we can just keep putting in money and it prints money. Like I put in a dollar and it gives me a dollar ten cents. That seems great. Isn't that just tech in general, though, that you're talking about? Like the belief around everything being 20x all the time and that story kind of starting to come maybe a little less true than people wanted? Oh, you say that, but Meta's also up 150% year, year to date. So like, you know, it's it's unclear, right? It's certainly, it really, it certainly is a story of casual gaming, I would say. And I think social casinos have taken the largest brunt of the hint and we'll see if it recovers. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, on the on the whale, like sustaining on whales, that's basically like what both Play Studios and Playtika and probably the entirety of Social Casino is doing right now. But it's, I mean, yeah, it can it can continue for some time. But at the end of the day, the the reality is even whales have you know <laughs> limited amount of money in their in their wallets, and you just cannot keep squeezing that lemon. Uh, it's it's just not an infinite pool, basically, and therefore you know unless you launch new games and you know um, give them new reasons to spend um, then then yeah you're basically on a on a downward path and you can extend that downward path for a longer period of time but but yeah from a public uh, company perspective you know that growth story does matter and um, and yeah you, you cannot do it on a fixed portfolio with a fixed amount of whales that have a retention curve attached to them and which will also keep decreasing, you know, over time. So I guess then uh, I wonder if we'll see uh, basically it moving kind of offshore, right? Where it's, you know, if, it, if it's just not the good thing for the tech industry anymore kind of thing, like the, especially the Western kind of tech Silicon Valley industry. And they're just like, meh, not interested anymore. We moved on to other things. And maybe that's like a situation where, uh, you know, we just it moves to Turkey and other places like that where they're maybe more willing to to do that because they're not necessarily needing a 20x potentially. Like, I don't know. I, I, I think there's the future sounds pretty uncertain based off everything you guys have said where it's like maybe some of this will work, maybe it won't. Maybe some of it's worked better than we expected, but maybe some of it hasn't. So I think it'll be a, a topic I imagine we <clears throat> will revisit, no doubt. Yeah. But uh, I think I think most most uh, most of the social casino focused companies are 
mostly going to just be focused on diversifying outside of the genre um and we kind of see that already kind of happening with huge games for example you know uh, they've kind of moved into setting up these supercell style pods and really experimenting with the kinds of games that you know they can build outside of social casino so social, social casino continues to pay the bills and you know uh, slowly build up uh, their cash balance but um but yeah i think yeah everyone is kind of seeing the writing on the wall a little bit and investing in diversifying outside of this genre well i guess we'll see uh speaking of uh, of rex that uh could be in slow motion here we've got uh, <laughs> rec league uh could be an interesting one uh, in terms of uh web3 potential still yeah, well, that was a great segue. <laughs> Before we dive in, just to wrap up that playtique, I had one thought. I feel like for, I don't know, about a year, we've been talking about how social casino portfolios need to diversify. And yet we haven't really seen that in action, at least in Playtika. So at the end of the day, it makes me wonder, like, what's going on? Like, why isn't it moving in that direction faster? So Rec League... Yeah, Enway was acquired by Animoca, so Enway is the developer of Rec League, and they also developed a mobile game called Power Rangers Legacy. And essentially, Rec League is a gameplay reskin with very small tweaks. It changes how you, you know, create your characters, their mechs. You have to collect mech parts, and then each part has an ability. And basically, how you build your mech is what's going to give you the abilities. Um, if you imagine a fighting game, you're mostly moving and then selecting your abilities so it's not super twitchy as you'd expect, for example, with a Marvel Contest of Champions. And this is a game that will be a blockchain game and a non-blockchain game at the same time. And the innovation that they're going for is that within the non-blockchain game in the store, players can buy mechs that were built by blockchain players through IAPs. And so their proposal is that they're going to create a sustainable economy where it is going to have an element of play to earn, but it will depend on the sync for Web2. So overall, this is uh, one of the key takeaways from my analysis that makes me very bearish on this game. Because looking at Enway's ability to scale user acquisition and the performance of Power Rangers Legacy, I just don't see that they're going to be able to create a non-blockchain player base that is large and engaged enough to create this thing for blockchain players. And so like looking at the differences of Rec League and the current incumbents in the mobile genre. So I'm looking at Marvel Contest of Champions, Dragon Ball Legends. Mm, I looked at Injustice Gods Among Us and the performance isn't good. So I'm not really comparing them here for, for Rec League. And one thing that first strikes me is that Rec League doesn't have an IP. So Marvel... Dragon Ball is all IP driven, but Rec League is not going to have one. Their solution is, you know, like Fortnite or Greeno, where they're going to do brand crossovers every season. And so that's going to create your IP driver. But I really don't think that's going to be enough because you don't have the, the core IP for your user acquisition. And then that's going to put more pressure in your acquis user acquisition strategy and creating these different creatives every time you have a different IP. I, I just think that that's a really massive hit in terms of the abilities to succeed of this game. 
And then their first IP is targeted to blockchain players, which is Bored Apes. And so, yeah, if you're targeting the blockchain, the small blockchain community, that makes a lot of sense. It's a popular IP. But then if you're making this game for non-blockchain players and you're going to have to scale them to create that sync, Bored Apes is a minor IP. And maybe it's even an IP that will create the wrong impression for non-blockchain players. Additionally, their combat... So I did play Power Rangers Legacy to try it. I'm just quite confused who the target is for that game because it's not skill twitchy. It's not incredibly lean back. It's sort of in the middle. Um, and then they're adding this whole mech RPG that has a bazillion combinations for you to create it. So it's not really for the casual player when you have all of these combos. So the targeting isn't clear for me. Also, they're not releasing Rec League on iOS. But looking at just Power Rangers Legacy that does not have good performance, but just looking at their game, the revenue per download on iOS is just so much higher than Google Play. And so I can only assume they're not going on iOS because of the blockchain restrictions, potentially. I'm really, really not sure because Power Rangers Legacy is on iOS. Um, in any case, I, looking at the performance, I would say Power Rangers Legacy would be a game that would have been sunset by most mobile studios in terms of expected KPIs. And if you compare, you know, Marvel Contest of Champions achieves a peak revenue of uh, like 23 million, 18 million, Dragon Ball as well. And then you look at Power Rangers Legacy is like, you know, 200K a month. It's just really low. And so I'm thinking like, what, what is the play here from Enway and Animoca taking this game that has been in the market, it has not scaled, it has poor performance considering benchmark for mobile. Why are they going with this gameplay? And so I just see them targeting blockchain. Like it's like, it's an okay game. It's a good game to, to play. And they're targeting blockchain players. But it just makes me question, like, I don't see how they're going to scale this in uh, non-blockchain to create that sync. And then also, let's, I, I'm not even going to go into whether it competes with uh, the other main incumbents like Tekken and whatnot. It's just, it's not even worth bringing into the conversation. <laughs> yeah. What are your thoughts on my analysis? I don't know. I think the project is... Like, honestly, I think it's going to be DOA, <laughs> this project. Uh, it's, uh, like, for me, like, basically what, like, for fighting games come down to is, you know, the characters and the control and the controls. And, like, they kind of, um, these two elements, um, um, they kind of enable some of the, you know, hallmarks of fighting games, like, you know, the speed and the themes and the narratives around the characters and, uh, you know, and and most importantly, mastery of these characters. You know, when you're actually in the in the in, uh, when you're actually playing that fighting uh, game. But I feel like over here, Envy has just made like some weird decisions. One is it's mech themed, which we all know is really not like the most mass market theming for mobile players. Um, second. All the mechs kind of look the same. So you know, if you if you look at like some of the biggest uh, you know fighting games out there, there are all these individual characters who have like very very strong narratives. They're all balanced against <clears throat> each other in terms of you know the skills that they bring to the table and the fighting style and how players can kind of interact with them. 
over here it like all the mechs kind of look the same and there are like you said you know these one point i think they said like 1.7 quadrillion uh combinations because of all the parts which basically means that you know the characters are not really going to be that different from each other uh in in the in the fighting sequences um and and yeah like you know from a controls uh, perspective or from a character's per- I, I didn't talk about controls but like just looking at some of their uh gameplay videos it also felt like the control system for this game is kind of like how like turn based rpgs maybe look like where you just have like a fixed set of buttons with you know fixed set of skills that you're yeah, doing inside and you're still and, moving yeah and it um and if, but if you kind of compare it to i do think like contest of champions is the better comp and you know even mortal kombat uh, 10 they have like really they while they have like simplified the control scheme to fit mobile uh it they have still been able to retain um the uniqueness of every character and you know with different um with um with like different abilities and like what what they can actually do and things like that but i just didn't really get that feeling from uh you know rectly right now so yeah <clears throat> i think it's i would already... say so i would say it's not a fighting game to be honest yeah. it's more of a it's... deck it's like a deck building time your usage of your ability and be on the right place but it's not it's not a a skill based fighting game yeah exactly i think it's more like a yeah it's more like a fighting rpg play rather than like an mm-hmm. action fighting game and <clears throat> it i think just given like how that 1.7 quadrillion number it gives me the feeling that i mean basically it's a game that is that is still continue to be designed for you know speculators first and you know fighting players second but if it is a fighting rpg play maybe maybe you know uh then then i could be yeah wrong. i'd um, say then. honestly my analysis i thought it was going to be deeper and then i quickly reached the conclusion that this is a game being pitched to blockchain players with an element of non blockchain to create that economy of sync but this isn't really a game that's being tailored um to to scale in the non blockchain market if you look at that's why you have all of these combinations is like oh so many nfts and then you can sync them and you can burn them you look at fighting games and they're not built through combinations on purpose because you have to really control the experience for the mastery Master and the, the combos character. and yeah. it yeah this is this is and then the mechs like the mechs allow you to have these 10 pieces that you built and i would say like maybe mechs are more targeted to the blockchain community in terms of the interests um i actually uh was it my games released today or they did a pr push for little big robots which is like a casual fight really vibrant um war robots experience that I started playing today and I love it so I can see how max could be casualified but that's not what what rectly is you know one of the things that I always want to flag to everyone especially people who are thinking about games in general is that we should account for base rates right like most games fail and by most games I mean like 99% of games at this point fail and so it's always interesting to see if a game will succeed more so than to necessarily opine if it'll fail i think talking about baldur's gate and how awesome and successful it is is always far more interesting to me 
than try and figure out, hey, why I think this new launch will fail. Because deep down, at least for me, I always hope that everyone succeeds. Like I think that's one of those things where I'm deeply hopeful. I think the one part of Marie's analysis that really resonates with me, and I think is really applicable, especially in this fighting game genre, is the lack of IP. There is no distribution here. And so it's hard to say that the game mechanics on their own can stand the test of trying to succeed when there is no distribution. One would hope that, say, the board apes or otherwise provide enough distribution such that these games succeed, but it's still unclear. And I think that is something that we will see come up over and over again. One bad-natured thing that I see a lot in blockchain, and I also see this in some other game formats as well, is you can't excuse you can't use the ecosystem as an excuse to make a bad game. A bad game is a bad game no matter where the bad game is. Like Manu and Maria's conversation delineates this where it's like, hey, if these game mechanics, be it the quadrillion whatever, or 10 different actions, don't make for a fun initial 30 seconds, initial two minutes, initial five minutes, then it's just not a game, right? And so I really hope that they succeed from the perspective of I hope every game creator is able to make an interesting game. But I do think that if you don't have an interesting distribution method, be it Dragon Ball or Pokemon or something that makes someone want to play the game and at least stick for a little bit, and you're a bad game where Manu's like looking at this and sees no difference in the actions, that's a bad <laughs> sign for this game. Right? It means that they're not doing any of the things. There are necessary and sufficient requirements. It's necessary that you're a good game, but it's not sufficient you're a good game to succeed. But if you're not doing the necessary parts, it's just not going to do well. The thing that confuses yeah. me the most about this uh, about this case is, I mean, it's it's being developed by Enway, right? And they have been like making fighting games for what the past ten, fifteen years. So, like, I would I would expect like they kind of know, you know, the important ingredients of of uh, of a fighting game, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, yeah, to, just kind of mostly in agreement with what Sebastian is saying. To jump in as, you know, someone now building a game in, in blockchain, I would say it makes it hard because you have to really determine what's your key driver, a really, really fun game, and then you create monetization for it. Or do you create a game that has a really good economy in terms of things that you can sell and sync. And then you have a game to sustain that because everything, you know, in blockchain currently, what a lot of studios are pursuing is using blockchain for monetization. And if you're doing that, it does change how you develop your gameplay. And this is what, what I see is that even if Enway were Excellent. Um, I think you said that they are. Even if they're excellent at building a fantastic fighting game, building a fantastic fighting game where you have one character and they're going to fight, that's not going to create the blockchain economy that you need. And so this is why I see is like Rec League is a game that is built to have uh, a good economy or like economy with many things that you can buy and sell and equip into your mech. And that's the prioritization here. It'll be interesting to see how it does. There's a, as, as Manny said, Enway actually developed some pretty good fighting games before that were IP based. The Power Rangers game that, not the mobile one that you were mentioning, but the uh, previous one that was on console, it was also on cloud. I, I remember actually playing it on Stadia. Uh, it was a pretty solid game and they were pretty good at developing the, the net code and 
uh, doing like an actual good fighting game. But again, that was IP based. They also did a wrestling based one that I think was WWE. That was, mm-hmm. I imagine, did okay. Uh, so they know what they're doing in that area, as many said, which is which is why this is odd. But they but they've like speaking of odd choices. I mean, they just came off of. Uh, after the Animoca acquisition, developing a Olympics themed game specifically for the Olympics that that had happened, and like that was just the weird, like what? Where is this even being developed by them? It's not in their wheelhouse at all. And uh, like, where is this game at least kind of is? But developing it for mobile is kind of an interesting choice because it's like then they have to skew it towards that style of gameplay, which was is really not their forte. And I think actually the closest comparison is Transformers Forge to Fight which is a very similar style of gameplay. It's robots. The difference is, of course, had IP. Even that didn't succeed. Mm-hmm. It's to the point now where it basically got rescued uh, by Netflix. So like it was a Kabam game. It just kind of like started going downhill towards the end of 2022, losing people, just couldn't retain them. And now Netflix basically scooped it up and it hasn't really been able to rescue it either. And now it's just going to kind of coast off of being part of Netflix's catalog. And so if, if that one can't even work, where it's a robot IP that has characters that people care about, then yeah, it's probably, this is this is a, a Web3 play. And if the Web3 side of it works, where like, say, the Yuga Lab part takes it off, then yeah, maybe it could succeed off the Web3 part. But as far as the mobile game design part, as far as the fighting game design part, that's probably not their strong suit here. And it, it is, after after being bought by Animoca, they've just been making some strange choices. Uh, and I don't know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll see more as, as more comes out because, you know, they've released a decent amount of information, but, Obviously, the game's not out yet, but it is it is a lot of a lot of our choices. But I don't know. I guess I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, I, I just wanted to before we move on to the topic, I wanted to talk about Riot's Project L because I dove into a rabbit hole about fighting games and then I appeared on the other side. And honestly, I'm now even more excited for what Riot is building with Project L, like putting these two experiences side by side and seeing what is required to make a esports grassroots esports level fighting game the number of features that are necessary for like practicing perfecting the depth of mastery of each um, character seeing what riot has done with you know league of legends and valorant they really have my betting chips now for being able to make a next generation fighting game and they're making like a tag team based fighting in multiplayer where it's like wrestling tag team where you're you know you're in together and then you wait for your partner to hopefully survive and then tag you in and have that whole mechanic the art style looks amazing and so i'm i'm actually really excited and i think out of everyone who could try to challenge the incumbents you know tekken mortal kombat street fighter i believe that project l has a good chance do you think I'm being too happy and excited about this? Should I be more bearish? I've not looked into Project L like very, very deeply, but you know, based on whatever gameplay videos I saw and like some of their uh, you know developer uh, vlogs and such, um, I think I would like share the excitement for sure. Uh, and I think they even said in one of the developer vlogs that if you know while they were making the decision to kind of enter the space one thing that they definitely wanted to get right with that game is they wanted to introduce something new to the genre with that game and and that's essentially this uh you know tag team feature and you know how that feature specifically is going to um change up fighting styles uh you know in a like you know the 
the typical fighting style of mastering one character and then playing that character in a fighting game versus, you know, maybe either mastering multiple characters and being able to play with them and, you know, synergize with them in a round or being able to play with another, with a friend of yours in such perfect coordination in the round so that you can beat like two other people. And yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it's, um, it, it could be big or it could just not work also. Um, but, but yeah, I think that's, that's, I guess those are the kinds of bets that also kind of, you know, evolve genres and, and don't. So, um, yeah. Yeah. My understanding is, uh, previously there was a, a game, I can't remember the exact name of it. I was trying to look it up, uh, by a couple of developers that was in a, like, I think an alpha state, uh, that was like really good. Like they spent a long time making really solid net code. Anyone who plays fighting games knows, like online knows the net code is like really, really important to these types of things, especially if they're looking to be esports competitive. And uh, and it was a really solid game. I actually played it during like that that short alpha they had. And then they got scooped up by Riot. And so my understanding is I believe those people, unless they've moved on, are on this mm. project. And so that it like that gives it some good potential, at least from the the development side, from the like having people that understand fighting games really well. Now, of course, like once absorbed by Riot, who knows after that point, right? Uh, but I do think that gives it a at least a good indicator that like there's some potential in in that side of things. Obviously, Riot has been pretty successful so far in their spinoffs that they've done, like in their their other projects. I mean, I guess technically not spinoffs, but other projects they've done outside of maybe like Legends of Terror, where it's been like a little bit less uh, successful, I think, than they probably wanted. But Valorant seems to have done well, so I think it's a uh, it's probably easy to just be bullish on this because it's. It's right. They've been doing well. They've got good people. They've spent a while on this. I don't. I don't think there's any reason to like doubt that it could at least have potential. It, other yeah. than the fact that they're going into a pretty heavy fighting game season, uh, you know, with Mortal Kombat One, you said Street Fighter Six with an amazing debut and a great Evo showing. Uh, just Tekken coming out after that. Like, there's there's a lot of competition, but at the same time, like you know, it, maybe people yeah. will be just playing all of them. And Raya is a known powerhouse to be able to develop great characters. They have an amazing process to to do character creation that you care across all of their games. And so I can just see that fit, fitting in perfectly with a fighting genre. I guess we'll see. I think I think yeah, like I said, probably an easy bet. Uh, I think we're probably all bullish on it, like unless someone says otherwise. So we'll definitely be looking forward to it in the future. Of course, everyone always keeping their eyes on Riot. Hopefully, they don't become like another Blizzard. Uh, we'll we'll see. But uh, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. I know it's been like a little bit of a long one. We had, I think, a pretty meaty discussion on Social Casino that I imagine will continue as long as this genre lives. You can so bet on that. It doesn't happen very often. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Absolutely. thankful that you guys listen, listen to my analysis over there. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> a lot of people tune out very quickly on that. <laughs> but. yeah but i mean hey if, if you guys enjoy that sort of conversation as well or more topics that you'd like to see on those sorts of things or ones you want us to like do some good extended session on make sure to to shoot us an uh, email to the mailbag that podcast at novic.co we always look forward to getting like emails from you guys feedback topics comments questions we've definitely had some good questions where that were good follow-ups that we've had a chance to answer so make sure to shoot those our way but I want to thank everyone for listening this long, as well as, of course, the panelists for sticking around for some good long conversation. And we'll see you guys next week. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, 
make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.